All right, well, the children are leaving with their money, and let me just tell you from the beginning, I don't have money for you. So don't be expecting me to walk around and do what Lori did and hand you any kind of quarters, dollar bills, 20, anything of that particular nature. But what I do have for you is the fact that we return once more to the Gospel of John. We're going to be today in John chapter 15, and I recognize today being Palm Sunday that a lot of churches this morning, preachers in particular, are leading their congregations in a particular church into the record or the recording or the actual reading of the triumphal entry. And I typically follow that same pattern. After all, I mean, it is a wonderful, special, significant Sunday that begins the last week of our Lord's earthly ministry. But in an effort to complete the I Am series that have been on for the last several weeks, maybe even for the last two months, we'll be turning past the triumphal entry, which is recorded in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, and turning then, as I mentioned, to John chapter 15. And here we find a rich text that's only recorded in the Gospel of John. In which John informs the disciples that they must remain or abide in him. Now, before the reading, remember that we have already shared in chapter 14, the last couple of weeks, that Jesus has connected with the disciples. He has shared with the disciples that he is about to depart. They had grieving and mourning and, and from all that that he has shared with them about his soon departure. But he also now here in chapter 15, in a way of continuing to help them, is he's telling them that they truly, even upon his departure and his impending death, can stay connected to him. So the question then for us to entertain today and for us to consider at the beginning is how can the disciples stay connected to Jesus even when he is no longer with them? And that's what we learned today. I mean, today we've learned that Jesus is divine. And we, as the disciples, followers and believers, we then are the branches. And through our obedience, keeping his commands, abiding in him, we will become fruit bearers and then remain connected to Jesus, who again is divine. So John 15 tells us that today. Now, before we read John 15, it's also rec worth recognizing and stating here that the words we're about to read and to hear and consider today for our message occurs during Passion Week. Passion Week is something you may have heard about before, but passion don't seem like the right word to use because we don't think of passion as in the Greek word meaning to suffer. And Jesus truly was suffered this week. He was suffered for all of mankind throughout, the, throughout all of this week. I mean, he took the beating, the mocking, the ridicule, even the betrayal, and ultimately his death was the most humiliating death for ever or anyone to ever experience. In fact, his death demands that we even heed the message today and stay connected to him, allowing our good deeds, our fruit, to bring glory to him, not to us, but to him and to him alone. Remember, this is Passion Week, so the words we read and consider today is the words he's expressing to his disciples during that last week of his ministry. Stand with me today as we do so to honor the reading of the word. We're in John chapter 15. We're going to read the first 17 verses of the gospel of John in the 15th chapter, which also then will find the I am and complete our series pertaining to the I am statement. So John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Again, the last week he will be with them in his earthly ministry, he says this. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be, be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved you, have loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Father, Lord, we come before you moment at this particular moment, Lord, at this moment, this hour. And I pray, Lord, that you be with us as we hear this message today. And I pray, Lord, that we learn not only from the text, but see how we can truly stay in our lives as a branch, how we can stay connected to you as divine. So, Lord, lead and guide and direct. I pray, Lord, as I always do, the words that be said today would not be words that I want to say. But the words you want us to hear, it will penetrate our heart into our soul. So let's be thankful, Lord, for what we shall learn and apply to our lives today and how we can stay connected to you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think it should be mentioned that the Gospel of John that we've been focusing on for several weeks offers a different perspective upon Passion Week, or the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, than do the other Gospels, which is called the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because in the Gospel of John, the Apostle chooses to elaborate, not like the others. The others seem to take a moment within the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry to share some information about some parables. And John does not necessarily do that. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find during Passion Week, right there with the triumphal entry in the days thereafter, you find the parable of the sower, the parable of the wicked servant, the ten virgins, and of the talents. But John does not go into the parables like it is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we find that John gives us some really valuable information that, that Jesus had with the closeness 
of his disciples. I mean, particularly in the last few days and the conversations perhaps they were having. So while it seems that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the Last Supper and the betrayal, as well as author other details pertaining to the crucifixion, John offers a completely different perspective. I mean, yes, he also talks about the Lord's Supper, but he offers significant conversations that could have occurred during that particular last week. For example, in John's Gospel, you find things that just seem to be unique, not found in the other Gospels. In John chapter 13, you find the washing of the disciples' feet. It's not recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And again, that happens in the last week that Jesus was with his disciples. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the chapter 14 when he shared with the disciples of his soon departure. Remember, they were grieved, they were mourning. And he told them, if you remember, that they didn't need to grieve, that he was with them, and that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. He tried his best to comfort them because he knew they're grieving in the morning. And it's only recorded in John chapter 14. Well, in John chapter 15, as well as in chapter 16, not in the verses we read, but later in the chapter, and on the chapter 16, you find John telling them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then finally in John chapter 17, again, all that occurs within the same week, ultimately with the cross where he receives his death, he shares and prays for his disciples in John chapter 17. All that is unique to John's gospel. Certainly a different perspective that John is giving us pertaining to what happens during that last week that he was disciples not found or written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the washing of the disciples' feet, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and his powerful prayer he has for his disciples written in John 17 are days of discussions and messages for another day. Because today we simply focus upon how the disciples and us also as his followers can simply remain in him. How we can stay connected. And he tells us in verse 1, it almost seems too simple. He says, I am the true vine. Which is our first point then, that only Jesus, only Jesus is the true vine. Now, the vine, of course, Jesus using here a metaphor. We've seen this before. In the I am statements, we've seen he uses different times and circumstances and events to express an I am. But the other times, he uses a metaphor, an analogy. And here, then, is yet another metaphor of the vine and the fact that we are the branches. But the vine, then, was symbolic of the nation Israel, often in the Old Testament. Researchers, interestingly enough, researchers have found that even a vine to be present in the Maccabean coins in that particular day and time. But the point here is this, that Jesus is using a metaphorical language to describe how the life of Christ himself flows into us, bringing with the fulfillment of his purpose in disciples' lives as well as ours. I mean, being connected to the vine, being connected to Jesus, for every one of us, gives us meaning and purpose of life. That's essentially what he's saying here. We must stay connected to Jesus and be connected to him as we are the branches to the vine, gives us ultimate meaning and purpose of life. Now, many of you know about Jesus' last supper for the disciples. 
is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And John's particular Gospel is written in chapter 13, which is also then with the washing of the disciples' feet. But with the story and the account written with the Last Supper, we know that Jesus sends a couple of his disciples into town to prepare and secure the room in which he would dine to commune with the disciples for what would be the last time. But here then is John, again, the different perspective of what you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John chapter 15, scholars then suggest that it's quite possible that we find a little bit of the upper room discourse or the conversation that's happening upon that particular last week between Jesus and the disciples even into the evening. Or, or possibly if it's not in the upper room where he is telling them to stay connected and to abide, then possibly if it's not in the upper room where he was having this particular conversation with his disciples, it could be this metaphorical symbolic language is as he walks the streets of Jerusalem with his men. I mean, either way, though, he's having a conversation that's uniquely written in John. That's not written in any other any of the gospel. And he shares with them the fact that I am divine, he is divine, and he, disciples, and all of us are the branches. He's either having a conversation in the upper room, or he's walking along with his men on the streets of Jerusalem. Foster Lewis says this, Perhaps they were on their way to Gethsemane. This was Jesus' last opportunity to be alone with his disciples before his death. He still had many things to tell them, and some things he said as they walked along were unexpected. The last words of encouragement in the upper room were in keeping with the final farewell. But now he turned to an unexpected challenge and warning. The lives of his followers must bear fruit. And Jesus used the figure of a grapevine to make his point. And note then that the imagery of the vine to his disciples tells them they must stay connected, not only connected, but as the vine and the branches are connected, that we as the disciples and them as well must bear fruit. Which equates then to this fact, that only through Jesus can we be fruit bearers. Now let me explain take a moment to explain what that means, that only through Jesus can we be fruit bearers. Because in biblical times, vineyards were quite commonplace. And the vine was so common to the land, it required constant attention, particularly if the fruit was to be the best and desired fruit. Furthermore, the fruit then grew rapidly, tastily, and abundantly. But it was not allowed to bear fruit for three years which meant the drastic pruning must occur to ensure its full development. So that upon reaching full maturity, naturally the vine was still held fruit branches as well as non-bearing fruit branches. Those that did not bear the fruit were continually cut back, so they would not drain the nourishment from the vine. Even on the fruit-bearing branches, there was growth that required pruning in order to maximize their fruit. Now what all that means is this. For us, as the branches, and he the vine, it means that we come out of the womb into the world as a little bit of a wild vine. I mean, we're branches, but we come out unconnected, if you will. 
And when we accept God's gift of Jesus Christ, God's free gift of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we then become connected as to Jesus divine. But even when we become connected, we're still a little bit of a wild vine. I mean, we're a branch that's now connected, but we're still a little bit rebellious at times. Even when we become connected to the vine. So because we're still a little bit rebellious, we will need some pruning. We'll need time to mature, to grow. And pruning comes into our lives in the form of test or of discipline. Now, if we say that, we should also insert, remember here that it's God who tests us. Satan will tempt us, but God will never tempt us. But God will test us while Satan tempts. And scriptures confirm this. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Isaiah, very similarly, in chapter 48, verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. So refinement or test in our lives are the pruning that we need in order to make sure we grow mature and maximize ourselves for Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to bear good fruit. But it comes in a variety of forms. Regarding the different tests that God offers us, I refer to the words of Rick Warren, who writes in Purpose Driven Life. He said, God continually tests people's character, their faith, their obedience, love, integrity, and loyalty. God tested Abraham by asking him to offer his son Isaac. God tested Jacob when he had, had to work extra years to earn Rachel as his wife. In the garden, Adam and Eve failed their test. All of life is a test. You're always being tested. God constantly watches every response to people and to problems, to success, to conflict, to illness, to disappointment, and even the weather. He even watches the simplest actions, such as when you open the door for others, when you pick up a piece of trash, or when you are polite for the clerk or waitress. Now, Warren says a lot here. But what he's essentially saying is that all of life is a test. As a matter of fact, there's no way you can ever know for sure all the tests that God is giving you. In fact, it's quite possible that God may intentionally even draw back from you for a period of time just to test you. You may think, that sounds ridiculous. That God may actually draw back from me because it says he never leaves or forsakes me. But God may intentionally draw back from you, not leave you, not forsake you for a period of time just to test you, to see what will happen. And that's scripturally based. I mean, did it not happen to Job? Job was severely tested when God allowed him to be tested. He kind of drew back from Job. And Job was certainly tested. And Job remained faithful and true. But it wasn't just Job. It also happened to King Hezekiah. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 27-31, we read about the test in which God withdrew from Hezekiah. In the text, we actually learn preceding those verses that Hezekiah was ill. In fact, he was near death. So he prayed to the Lord and God gave him his life. 
that Hezekiah did not repay the Lord for showing him favor. This angered the Lord, and wrath was about to come upon Hezekiah. But Hezekiah humbled himself, and the Lord's wrath was lifted, in which we find then what's written in verse 27 of 2 Chronicles 32. It says, Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, and for all kinds of desirable items, storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of livestock. Moreover, he provided cities for himself, and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very much property. The same Hezekiah also brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all his works. Now listen to verse 31. However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. I mean, Hezekiah enjoyed a very close fellowship with God. But at a crucial point, even written in verse 31, when he had all these different things, God left him alone for a period of time to test his character. And it's quite possible that God may test you in the same or similar manner. The point is this. The life itself is a series of tests. And after a multiple rounds of tests in life, you can say we become from a wild vine into a cultivated vine. And a cultivated vine with constant pruning will eventually be turned and nurtured to a strong fruit-bearing branch of the true vine, which is Jesus. Or does he simply say it another way, Christ is the vine. And God is the gardener who cares for the branches. That would be you. You are the branch. He cares for you. He tests you to make you more fruitful. God prunes the branches through the test in which then we grow and bear fruit. Again, as you accept Christ, you mature, you grow from a wild vine into a fruit-bearing branch of the true vine. Hence Jesus saying, then, I am the vine and you are the branches. You should stay connected to the vine in order to bear fruit, bring glory to God, and you mature along the pruning process with tests in your life. But, as much as we may emphasize the fruit-bearing vine or the fruitful branches, we also must recognize the unfruitful. Look at me again in verse, uh, verse 1 and 2 in the 15th chapter. Particularly verse 2, where it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Which means those who do not bear fruit or become unproductive, those who turn their back from following Christ, after making a superficial commitment, they'll be separated from the vine. They'll be cut off. Do you know anyone in your life who's made a superficial commitment? I mean, it's like they've said the words, but it's really shallow. It's meaningless. They've not truly decided to follow Christ. They just said the words aloud and thought merely that might be enough. And never in their life have they ever bared any kind of fruit. 
or good fruit. And it says here then that every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, as in they'll be cut off. Unproductive followers are as good as dead and be cut off and tossed aside. Now stated in the obvious, none of us should ever want to be cut off from the vine. Not one of us should ever desire to be unproductive or separated from the true vine. Because well, all that means we need to recognize this in the true vine, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is our life source. He is our life source. And we should want to stay connected to Jesus Christ, our life source, forever. We should want to stay connected to that source of life. So the question maybe becomes then, well, if we must stay connected to their source of life, well, again, okay, I'm hearing you, but how do we stay connected then? Well, he simply tells us then what boils down to one word to stay connected, and that word is simply abide. Abide in me. We stay connected by simply being obedient and to abide in him. Read with me again verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch in withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's like after Jesus makes his point about the vines and the branches and the pruning, he tells the disciples simply one thing they must do. One thing they must do. What must they do? Abide. It's almost too simple. But notice in just three verses, verses 4, 5, 6, five times, the word abide is used. Now, if you go back and look at the entire passage in 17 verses we read, in the beginning of John chapter 15, you're going to find 11 different times, 11 different times in 17 verses, he says the word abide. So what is the point? <laughs> the point is simply this. By using the metaphor of divine the branches, he says that we are attached we are connected. We are bonded to Jesus. And we stay connected only through abiding. We must abide. To be a disciple, to stay connected, is one thing we must do, simply to abide. There's a lot to expand upon in here with the word abide. First thing to recognize, the Greek word here is meno, which means to dwell, to live, to continue, or to remain. In fact, the usage of minnow in the Greek language is the idea of joint abiding, as in you and Christ joined together. He is divine, you and me, we are the branches, we're connected, we're joined together. We are connected, we're joined together only through abiding. You got it? We're connected, we're joined together only through abiding, which means then that we are jointly connected to Christ. We're connected together. As long as you're connected together, you're abiding. 
We are connected together through our abiding to Christ. We're jointly together with Christ. Joined together. Can you picture it joined together? I was trying to picture that this week of how we could truly be joined together. And I thought of the weirdest thing. When my kids were younger, they used to watch this cartoon called Cat Dog. Some of you know exactly where I'm going. Because Cat Dog was, was just that. I, I should have put an illustration up here. Because you had a cat and a dog connected together. I mean, they're arch rivals. How can this even happen? Cat Dog. A cat and a dog was joined together. And that's what we are with Christ. We're not cat dog, but we're joined together with Christ through abiding. It is with us. I mean, we're connected together. We're connected together to the divine. And if we're connected together, if we're connected together, why well, shouldn't we be abiding? But shouldn't we have Christ to dwell in our hearts, to live in our hearts? Shouldn't we want to be obeying his commands if we're truly connected? I mean, yes. It's the very essence of abiding. And Christ knows this. Look in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, there it is, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I mean, it's just one word. It almost sounds too simple. To abide is to stay connected and is to obey his commandments. Think, okay, it does sound simple. But there's a lot of commandments. What commandments are you talking about? Well, it boils down really to two. It's written in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, and you know them. You should love the Lord your God, your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. What is the second? Love your neighbors yourself. Upon these two commandments, all the others are fulfilled. We stay connected through obedience, through abiding. We're joined together. And we should want to fulfill and obey his commands. And by the way, notice in verse 4, we can do nothing. We do not abide in Christ. Verse 4 said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5 even adds that you can depart from me, you can do nothing. As stated earlier, only through Jesus Christ can we be fruit bearers. We cannot bear fruit apart from the vine, the true vine, Jesus Christ. You cannot bear fruit apart from the true vine, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, you're saying, wait a minute. I know people that bear fruit, that are simply good people, and do not profess to be a Christian. I know people do a lot of good things. They don't, they don't thousands of dollars to help people at Christmas time, or, or they help a lot of people fight cancer, or they give to the rescue mission. I mean, they do all kinds of wonderful things. But they have no relationship at all with Jesus Christ. I mean, they're simply not connected, but they seem to be bearing fruit. So are they fruit bearers? If they're not connected, it seems they might be fruit bearers, but are they truly fruit bearers? And the answer really is no. They're only good in doing good deeds. I mean, a fruit bearer is not defined or limited to the practice of good deeds, but 
most importantly, a fruit bearer, will be the one who shares the good news, the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ. As the branch, yes, we are connected to the vine, and the only meaningful fruit from our life is that we share the good news with people in this world. So if you dissect what this means, it begins to tell us that the real fruit, the real fruit in our lives when we share Jesus with the world. Yeah, deeds, good deeds are important. Helping others are important. We shouldn't discount it, but it's like low-hanging fruit. But the best fruit we could ever have as a result of any life that we live is sharing the gospel. Fruit is only harvested once the seed is sown, and we must plant the seed. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified. Then you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We must plant the seed of the good news of Jesus Christ to bear good fruit. And the Father's glorified. And we could end it there. But notice as we return to the text one final time, there is a reward for bearing fruit and for abiding. Look at verse 7. The reward seems to come. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I'm thinking, wow, what a great verse that is. What a great reward we have awaiting for us then. I mean, is this verse saying that as fruit bearers, living, abiding, stay connected to the true vine, Jesus, that we will get whatever we ask for? I mean, and so that's pretty cool. I mean, look at verse 16. That seems to even echo it. It says that you, sh you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will be given to you. I mean, incredible, amazing. Are you listening? Are you hearing this? There's great reward. I mean, I if so, if we have the Father, if we bear good fruit, share the gospel, plant the seed, is it telling us that whatever we ask for, we shall receive? Because if I'm hearing that, I'm ready to go out to the, the, the Polaris dealer and get my new side-by-side. -side. Or, or the Ram truck dealer and get my new truck. Because whatever I'm asking for, it says I'm going to receive. Is that what it's telling me? I mean, is verse 7 and verse 16 telling us that if we abide, we stay connected to the vine, who we know is Jesus, that whatever we ask for, it will be given? And you're already answering no. Because what it means, of course, we must pray according to God's will. The verses are not telling us that, that Jesus is a genie. He's not, saying, he's not some gene that you can rub up on and get whatever you want for, whatever you wish for. But rather, interestingly, what we find then, as you stay connected to the vine, and whatever you ask for then, seems to match up with him. Begin to pray then according to what he desires, or he wants. And what that essentially means is as long as we say we're in him, and his words remain in us, our desires really will be consistent with his will. Our prayers simply will begin to reflect the total dependency on him and what will advance his work. So in short, we must abide, but don't get to the idea 
Don't get the wrong idea that abiding in him will result in whatever you want. Your abiding will naturally result in you praying in line with God's will. It will be affirmative as it aligns itself to his glory. And that is the good news. That we have our prayers to match his will. And what we ask for then we shall receive. That is the good news. But notice as we prepare to end that there is also bad news for those who choose not to abide. Verse 6 once more. If anyone does not abide in me, here it comes. He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. I ask you, is that verse clear? I mean, basically it's saying that anyone who does not remain in Christ is, is thrown away. They're gathered together, thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered together in a pile and burned. We've had a lot of recent storms. It seems like every Friday now we have a storm. There's some high wind and branches fall from the trees. It's happened in every one of our yards and probably been picking up some branches who are falling from the tree, no longer staying connected. In fact, Jackson, Mike, and I went to my mom's house a week ago and picked up all the branches that she had laying in her yard and gathered them all in a, in a big pile. They're in a pile now waiting to be burned. They're in a pile Useless branches waiting to be burned. What a horrible, tragic end to someone's life. That you may be useless, disconnected to the vine, so much so that you wither and die, a way to be thrown into a pile and burned. I mean, I pray that none of us will ever have that end to our life. And I pray that all of us would simply choose to abide, truly abide, stay connected to the divine. Because he is our life source. Notice how when you become disconnected to the life source, you kind of wither and die. You're gathered up, thrown into a pile and burn. You know, I've noticed in life that everybody wants to have a good life. Nobody ever sets out from the womb into the life, into the world, to have a mediocre life or bad life. We don't set out to be objective in our lives to, to just simply be mediocre. We, we all want to be good. Some of us even want to be great. But the only way we'll ever have anything great, which we give the glory to him, not us, the only way to truly live a good life is to stay close to the vine, stay attached to the vine. Because apart from Christ, our efforts are unfruitful. So evaluate your life, where you're at. Are you connected to the vine this morning? I truly hope you are. Or somehow, some way, are you disconnected? You say, well, how, how would I know if I'm disconnected? Well, let me ask you. Are you living the life that you thought you would be living? Or is something going awry in your life? Is something going wrong? Is life really getting difficult for you? Now, perhaps that's testing. But perhaps you're also then disconnected from the vine. And maybe this morning you're simply here to hear the message because you need to be reconnected to the life source, reconnected to the vine. 
but Jesus Christ. We, as his followers, must abide. And the way we can stay connected to him is through obedience and through abiding. Somehow, if you're not being obedient and not abiding, you're disconnected. And ultimately, you'll be gathered up, thrown into the pile, and burned, according to the text. So this morning, heed the message. Become reconnected. And somehow, if you become unconnected, reconnect yourself today to the vine. The vine simply being Jesus Christ. Become a fruitful branch. Father,